This is your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 113 with guest Christine Hassler. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 113. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host. The girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey, Ass Kickers, welcome to another edition of the podcast. As always, I am so glad that you're here. This week, we have a return visitor, my dear friend, Christine Hassler. I invited her back on the show because the first time she was here, we absolutely did not have enough time to have a conversation and and for me to ask her all of the questions I needed to ask her. So if you like this episode, you will love the first one that we did. I will link to her first episode in the show notes. And I wanted to just remind y'all that I would love and be so grateful if you could take the time to give us an honest rating and review on iTunes about this podcast. And it can be a little bit tricky for some people like myself. (laughs) It just is weird to navigate. So we have put in instructions on how to do that in the show notes of the podcast in case you're kind of having trouble getting there. But I just wanted to quickly read a couple of the amazing reviews that a couple of my ass kickers have left. And some of these are tricky because you don't leave your real name. It's like your iTunes username. So Delish Girl said, you need this podcast in your life, I promise. Andrea is smart and real and funny and bold and delivers light bulb over the head nuggets of game-changing material every week. You will relate to her. And once you start on this podcast, get ready to binge. Buckle in because you will emerge a better person. Delish Girl, Thank you so much for that review. That was amazing. I just like got a lump in my throat reading it. That is just, uh, uh, you guys, I can't even. Okay, okay, just one more. Kay Barker555 said, Andrea Owen is the epitome of leading by example. She shows you how to handle life's challenges by telling anecdotes from her own experience. She handles topics with the perfect combination of honoring the difficult while maintaining a sense of levity. Her podcasts cover a wide range of topics, and I go to them every time I need a pick-me-up. Thank you for all your amazing work, Andrea. You're welcome, Kay Barker555. You're very welcome. And just thank you. There were so many. And I just am honored to be able to do this work. You know, sometimes I forget that anybody's out there. So (laughs) all alone here in my office behind my computer. And so it's just, it's really great to be able to go there and read your reviews and that you're getting something out of the podcast. And I love that you share it with your friends and give me your feedback. And if you ever want to come and say hi, I'm over Instagram at your kick ass life. Come and say hi. I would love to see some of my ass kickers. One of the questions I get asked a lot is what are some book recommendations that I have? You know, people say like, what what are some books that have changed your life? I can't believe in all these years of blogging, I don't think I've ever done a post on like, here are the books that have changed my life. And and I'm going to need to do that. I will. But I figured I could use the podcast to kind of do one or two books every episode or whenever I think of it that has really changed my life. And as I sat down to record this, I thought, okay, well, there's a lot, but I think one of the very, it was actually one of the very first self-help books I read 
And my self-help journey started very slow a long time ago. And one of the very first books that I was given by a coworker at the time, that must've been awkward to give it to me. <laughs> Here's how screwed up you are. <laughs> Here's a book that I think will help. Oh God, this woman I used to work with Linda and she just was so great. And I've totally lost touch with her. But anyway, I digress. It's called Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. And gosh, you should see this book. It is dog-eared and highlighted. I mean, so much of the book is highlighted, especially in the beginning of the book when Melody Beattie goes over all of the symptoms and, you know, what makes someone codependent. I pretty much highlighted all of them. And then there's like stars by some of them. But what I love about this book is, yes, she outlines what it means and what it looks like to be a codependent person. But also there's a ton of activities in the book that you can do to help yourself because that's why they call it self-help. It's, it's so much more than just reading about it. It's so much more than just listening to a podcast about it. It's about doing the work. You guys hear me say this ad nauseum. It is about actually taking action. And so much of that is doing activities like answering questions on worksheets and writing things out and journaling about it. And that's what doing the work is. That's what really showing up is. And that's why I love self-help books that have action steps to help you overcome what it is that they're talking about in the book. So again, Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. You can go to the show notes for a quick and easy link to that book. It's been out for a long time. She also has, I believe she has an updated version, and I know that she has different workbooks that go along with it. I have the 12-step workbook that she has. And yeah, she's amazing. I should get her on the podcast. I'm to think of it. So anyway, that's that. That's my book recommendation for the week. And let me tell you a little bit about Christine Hassler before we jump into the interview. Christine Hassler is the author of 20-something, 20-everything, the 20-something manifesto, and the national bestseller, Expectation Hangover, Overcoming Disappointment in Work, Love, and Life. She left her successful job as a Hollywood agent to pursue a life she could be passionate about. For over a decade, she has been sharing her passion to ease suffering on the planet as a speaker, retreat facilitator, and life coach. Christine believes once we get out of our own way, we can show up to make meaningful impact we are here to make. And without further ado, here is Christine. Hey, Ass Kickers, you just heard again about Christine. This is Christine Hassler's second time on the podcast. And hey, Christine, glad you're here. I'm so glad to be back. Yeah, it's been, it's been actually about a year since you've been on. So perfect timing for you to come back and drop some more wisdom bombs. And we were chatting before I started recording. And we're going to talk about some juicy stuff today. Yes, we are. Because <laughs> last time you were on, we talked mostly about your book, Expectation Hangover. Mm -hmm. And of course, there'll be links to that in the show notes. But I spent a great deal of time getting to know you, the online version of you, which is the real version of you. Oh, yeah, I'm totally. Like, I'm like, That's, what are we yeah. going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? I'm glad that you have agreed to come on to talk about some like real life stuff. But before we get into some really juicy stuff, this was a more recent post that you had, and I loved this, and I loved the lesson behind it. And no, I take that back. It wasn't recent, but it was, it was like one of your most favorite or most watched posts. And it was called, I left the party oh, it was yeah. all about saying no. So can you tell us that story when you were at a literal party and you left and what you learned from it? 
Oh my gosh, that was a while ago. Let me see if I can jog my memory. But you know, one of my big life lessons, one of the things that's really been up on my like human curriculum was feeling like I belong Mm -hmm. and feeling like I'm liked or likable. You know, I had a lot of rejection. The boys never liked me. The girls made fun of me. I was bullied, teased. Like that was part of my story. And as I got older and as I, you know, worked on that, I would notice that there were still those moments where I'd find myself wanting to be accepted, wanting to be liked, wanting to fit in. And there was because of this one moment in this one party where I realized, you know what? Like, I'm not being treated well. I think that, oh, oh, what it was, was there was a guy there that I liked who had invited me. And he was like not really talking to me and there were all these other women and it was like not really my scene and I was trying to be like this super hipster type and Mm -hmm. I'm not a hipster type Mm -hmm. and just found myself trying to be this chameleon and finally I was like Christine you're not being respected you're not having fun here you're pretending to be something you're not this isn't your vibe go just go just get the Mm -hmm. hell out and not from an angry place not from you're an asshole i'm leaving but from a place of real self-honoring and so i said my goodbyes i said it's time for me to go thank you so much for inviting me and i left and it felt so amazing to leave again not from the place of i'm being rejected or i'm angry but just of you know what this is not my fit. This Mm -hmm. is not in alignment. And this has nothing to do with something being wrong with me, but really just not being in the right vibration. I love that. And it actually, it doesn't even mean that there's anything wrong with them. It's just like two puzzle pieces that didn't fit together. Exactly. And I think that oftentimes we think that we belong with a certain group or in a certain club. And the more I've gotten to know myself and really just accepted myself, you know, accepted Mm -hmm. myself for who I am. I am not perfect. There are parts of me that are probably never going to change that even though I want them to change, it's just kind of who I am. And in some ways, and I evolve and I grow and growth is my number one value. So I'm always going to be growing, but I'm not going to dramatically change into another person. And I think that for all of us, but for me, I kind of had a projection of what I thought like the cool group looked like or what Mm -hmm. I thought it needed to be. And the more I've gotten in alignment with who my soul family is and who my tribe is, I can accept and feel so loved and such a sense of belonging there. And I can bless, you know, other groups that are just not my clique. Hmm. I love that. You know what I was thinking of when you were talking about that is that I think that that happens a lot in friendships Mm -hmm. when we get to be a little bit older. And I'm thinking of this one particular friend I have, I've known forever since we were teenagers. And she was talking to me about this one really good friend that she's had for a long time. And she was complaining about her and like the things that this woman does, that's like her personality. It sounds like it was just kind of mean and selfish. And and I was just kind of like, what are you still doing in this relationship? And she's like, well, I do have fun with her sometimes. And we have a lot of history together. I was like, okay, that's just not enough. I think intimate relationships are like that. Friendships are like that. If you feel, I think the bottom line and what I took the most away from that is like, if you feel like you have to compromise who you are, compromise your values, try to act like someone else. And by act like someone else, that might mean tolerate bullshit. Then you either need to have a really hard conversation with someone and or walk away from the relationship. Exactly. And, you know, I talk about that in Expectation Hangover, how there are expiration dates on relationship. And you have to realize when you've reached the expiration date and what I see happen to people. I was just having dinner with a friend of mine last night. He was talking about how he finally ended a friendship, but he like waited. It's almost like he waited for the other person to do something so awful that he's like, okay, 
Now I can leave. And it's like, See? do you need to wait for the guy to cheat on you? Do you need mm-hmm. to wait for, you know, your friend to be so emotionally abusive that you have a reason? Or can you just really honor this is not a good fit? Like the expiration date is here and I'm making the self-honoring choice to leave rather than waiting for it to get so bad that you're like, oh, now I'm justified. Now I have a good enough reason. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say that it's not hard to walk away from these friendships because it might be like your only really good friend or, you know, in an intimate relationship. But I just I think that when you know, you know. Exactly. And I honestly think it's harder and takes more energy to stay in it. It's like the temporary harshness of, you know, honoring your boundaries and making that self-honoring choice and having, you know, someone else be upset with you because we don't like it when other people are upset with us. That temporary discomfort is, is more about kind of just being uncomfortable. You know, it's hard to be uncomfortable. It's so much better than years of wasted time, energy, and just the emotional bandwidth. Cause Anyone that you're in relationship with takes up energetic real estate. Mm -hmm. And the more you're invested in people that aren't aligned and people that aren't growing in the same direction you're growing, the more you're taking energetic real estate away from drawing the people into your life that are in alignment from the creative projects that are important to you, from your meditation practice, from your health and well-being, from your relationship with yourself. So it's like I look at all my relationships and I'm like, okay, is this a good ROI such that one, it's not depleting me and two, that I can really give to this relationship. Mm -hmm. Because I know in relationships that have passed their expiration date that I've allowed, I'm not really showing up that great either. Yes, I think that's so common. So common. You touched on it a little bit in the last few minutes, but I know most of us and everyone listening has dealt with that feeling of not enough. And we talk about that a lot over here. So A, does this happen to you? I think probably yes. (laughs) And when it does, how do you deal with it? How do you deal with those feelings like you just aren't measuring up? Let me check and see if I'm still human. Yeah, still still human. So yes. Oh my gosh, Andrew, there's just so many tricky ways that we feel that way, you know, spend five minutes on Instagram and Mm -hmm. I, you know, I could feel not enough having some guy not choose me and choose someone else, I feel not enough. There's just so many kind of ways where it shows up. I think the way it shows up for me the most and something that's a consistent practice and has gotten a lot better is my inner critic has been effective in creating results for me in the external world. Mm-hmm. So it's sneaky in that the not enoughness can sometimes drive me to create results. And so explain what that means for people that aren't really sure what. So, yeah. So, okay. So let's say I'm like, oh my gosh, my Instagram following is not enough. Right. Which definitely is a reflection of my worth. Right. Right. My Instagram following. (laughs) (laughs) But you might be comparing yourself to somebody else who's got like a hundred thousand followers. Right. So, so I'm looking at somebody who's been in the personal growth world, like five years less than me and they have 200,000 followers. I'm not enough. So, okay, I'm going to be critical of myself and I'm going to hire a social media person. I'm going to post more and I'm going to figure out how I can get more followers. And I might get more followers that way. But I did it by being hard on myself, by Mm -hmm. criticizing myself. And so that's where it's tricky is that kind of critical voice that can come from that feeling of not enoughness can create results. But it's not lasting because enough is never enough in the external world. So my work is constantly going back to my spiritual practice and my work with myself and knowing that I am enough and I am worthy just for being me. And 
that's kind of a nice thing to think about. And I think there's a lot of kind of spiritual awareness and things out there that we know intellectually, but putting it into practice is a little harder. So for me, I consistently work from shifting from being motivated and driven because I may feel not enough to how do I be inspired? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. how do I you know, come from that place of, you know, what are my unique gifts? What are the things I'm here to share? And how do I feel inspired to go out and share those and really give? Because I can be self-absorbed. And I think the not enoughness thinking is very self-centered. And when I'm in that thinking, I'm thinking about me, Mm -hmm. you know? And so my practice, in addition to kind of knowing we're enough and blah, 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 like not blah, 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 but you know what I mean? Like just all that new year, new me, new year. <laughs> yeah. You can do all the affirmations in the world, but if you don't shift your behavior, like nothing changes. Right. And so to shift my behavior to how can I give, how can I contribute? How can I come from that place? And P.S. How can I stop scrolling through Instagram and comparing myself to people? Yeah. Eliminate your triggers. That's what exactly. I did. I had to go through and unfollow. I went on this I don't even know why I started following all these fitness people and (laughs) yoga, you know, the ones that take, I think probably because their pictures were beautiful. It's like yoga poses on the beach and stuff like that. And then my inner critics like, you don't even do yoga. Like (laughs) you're not that young, you know, like you're not that bendy anymore. Just like, and then way more horrible things. So I'm like, unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. And it's a lot better now. Let me tell you. So you can control some of your triggers. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And it's like being okay. You know, I don't expect myself even after I've been doing this work a long time, both personally and professionally. And I do not expect myself to be the Buddha. Right. You know, I do not expect myself to like, why torture yourself? If there are certain triggers and certain things that you know are going to make you feel bad, don't do them. Don't, don't keep them in your life and put this expectation on yourself that you're just supposed to not feel bad. If it makes you feel bad, just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that you talked about how sometimes your inner critic, I call that like using your inner critic as your motivator. And I actually wrote a blog post and it's a podcast episode. I believe it's 102. If anybody wants to go back and listen to it, we'll link up in the show notes. But I've heard people say that, like, I don't want to work on my inner critic, because that's the voice that motivates me. And I call that out. I'm like, bullshit. Like, no one is bullied into becoming a better person or being more fit. It's like, I think that like you were saying, like, that might work in the short term. But in the long term, I feel like that is like an assault on your soul. If you are really interested in becoming a better person and being kind and compassionate with yourself, because I truly believe like that's the key to happiness and and inner peace, then using your inner critic as your motivator to like kind of like kick your own ass is a no, 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 no. It is. It's effective on the goal line, but not the soul line. Oh, Christine Hassler. (laughs) (laughs) With your wisdom bombs. Yes. Mike. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's really sad about it is that it's accepted. I have been in so many conversations with women where they pick themselves apart and it sort of becomes like a self-criticism party, mm-hmm. you know, it's and really bond I've noticed it is. It's mm-hmm. I think Carolyn Mays calls it woundology. You know, we Ooh. bond over like what's wrong with us and, um, and yeah. 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 Last weekend, oh, this was my toughest audience ever. I really had to watch my inner critic on this one. I spoke to my friend asked me to speak to she runs a group for girls in LA 14 to 17 that are in halfway house. So at risk inner city girls. And she's like, will you come speak to them? And I said, oh, sure. And 
you know, I was like, oh, this is so great. And I'm going to be giving. And I had this whole speech planned. And oh my, I, I had no control of the room. I mean, a zero. And they were distracted and talking and moving around and wanted nothing to do with me. And I had to totally adjust and do something completely different than I thought I was going to do because I was projecting what I thought I would want to hear as a 14 to 17 year old girl, but my life was dramatically different than theirs Mm -hmm. when I was 14 to 17. So I had to get out of that mindset and be like, okay, how do I really, really show up for these girls? And one of the things that we talked about in the end was, you know, they trash talk a lot Mm -hmm. of themselves, of each other. And the one thing that I feel like was my biggest contribution to them was they made agreements with each other that when they criticize themselves, that they're going to call each other out. Like we came up with a code word for it and they're going to like call each other out. Because I think as women and as friends, if we can start doing that for each other, like if one of my friends is beating herself up, I call her out Mm -hmm. and I'm like, please stop talking about my friend Andrea that way. Like, like, please, you know, Mm -hmm. and we need to call ourselves out, but we also need to call the people in our life out that we love. Yeah. I do that with my friends and colleagues too. Absolutely. 100%. We do that to each other. So Okay. Awesome. 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 So I want to shift gears here a little bit. And you ended a relationship. I, I think you were engaged, right? With the man that I you was married. Was, you were married. Oh my gosh. I have the story completely wrong. I've been engaged to someone else and I've been married. So I guess I like diamonds. But <laughs> I, Who doesn't? <laughs> I had a broken engagement in my twenties where I was left. And then I had a divorce when I was 31, 32, where I decided that we weren't growing in the same that direction. That's the one I'm thinking of. So can you walk us through that? Because you thought that he was quote unquote the one, right? Well, he was. He was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really was. I mean, I, I believe that everyone's a soulmate that we have relationships with. I don't think that there's one person that's our forever person. Mm-hmm. With some people, that might be their spiritual contract that they're going to grow the best if they spend their life with one person. But I think for most of us, we're very misled and given this grandiose expectation that there's this other half of us out there somewhere that's going to complete us. And I'm sure you've talked a lot about this on the show, about mm-hmm. how that's totally an illusion and sets us up for an expectation hangover oh, yeah. and projects our like worthiness onto being in relationship. So for me, I met my ex-husband about six months after my fiance broke up with me. And he was perfect for me at the time. He's an amazing man. And and he still is. I have nothing negative to say about him at all. So we got married when I was like 28. And around 30, I got off antidepressants, which I had been on for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I went to University of Santa Monica and got my master's degree in spiritual psychology. So I became very versed in spiritual growth, transformation. And I had been like since I was about 22, but it just went to the next level. And I woke up. Like I getting off the antidepressants, having a stronger spiritual practice and my value for growth and intimacy and vulnerability and a connection with a higher power just skyrocketed. And it was never something he was interested in. And I take responsibility. Like I changed the rules in the relationship. Uh I changed the game because I changed. And so I remember I was just so fighting for him. And I'm sure women can relate to this. Like, fighting for him to change, yeah. like fighting for him to drink the same Kool-Aid I was drinking. <laughs> it's such, it's so great. Mm-hmm. And constantly making him my project and really not sticking to my own growth, like projecting a lot on him and wanting him to change. And one of my teachers said to me, Christine, you don't walk into a nursery and wake up sleeping babies. If someone wants to wake up, that's their choice. You have to give someone the dignity of their process. Mm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally not giving him the dignity of his process. If he doesn't want this path, 
then he shouldn't have to have it. Yeah. And we were such good friends and so compatible in so many ways. But the intimacy I think I was craving and that he was craving too, just started to fade away. And, and the other thing that was part of it is that, you know, I believe that we have these kind of spiritual contracts with people. So right when we got married, something happened with my father and his mother that were challenging. And we were the perfect people to help each other through those situations. Mm-hmm. And when those situations resolved, it was almost like we were kind of done. Like we'd come together to learn, to grow, to help with that. He had come into my life sort of as a choice point of, okay, Christine, do you want the safety and security of marriage and this life where everything's going according to plan? You were married at 28. You'll have a kid by 30. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to take this huge leap of faith into the unknown, follow the longings of your soul, go down this total spiritual witchy path that you're being called to and jump? And I tried staying. We tried to work on it. All my hair was falling out because Mm -hmm. my body was like, all right, if you're not going to listen to your intuition, maybe your vanity will speak to you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And finally I left and, you know, I wasn't sure. I was maybe 51% certain and 49% not certain. And I doubted it. And we split up and separated and then I wanted him back. But by then, like, I think he was just like done. I think men are very much on or off. Mm -hmm. Not all men, but a lot of men. And it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. For sure. The hardest thing I've ever done. Because it was more, it was about more than just a divorce. Mm-hmm. It was about feeling like I failed. I wasn't making a lot of money. So I was scared about, I was really scared about money. Shame was a big thing. Feeling like a fraud in yeah. my career because my first book, you know, oh, my fiance broke my heart. And then I met my soulmate and the man of my dreams and everything can work out. And now I'm divorced. Like, what kind of coach am I? So there's a lot that, and then fear of, am I going to have kids? I'm back in the dating. And I had never been single. Like since I was 19, I had consistent people. Mm-hmm. So it was quite the leap of faith. And and I thought when you took a leap of faith, because I hear all these sexy stories about people that take leaps of faith. And I thought, you know, I need the big white fluffy cloud and the arms of the angels. I mean, the and the nuts just going to appear, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. No, there's a free fall. <laughs> <laughs> there's a long free one. fall. There's a long free fall. So it was definitely challenging, but it's, it's a choice that on a soul level, I think I had to make. Do you feel like you are at a place now in 2016 where you are hundred percent certain you made the right choice or do you still wake up sometimes and think, what if I had stayed? Well, those are two questions. So I still think I'm certain I made the right choice, but mm-hmm. my mind does go to what if I stayed? Mm-hmm. What if I stayed? Because I think that... I'm single. I do want a relationship. And those hard times when I'm lonely or it's a holiday weekend or whatever, I kind of go, well, could I made it work? And I have to remind myself. I really have to remind myself of my core values and of how for both of us, it wasn't for the highest good. So I think whenever we make a big decision like that, there is that voice of self-doubt that sometimes will come in, especially in our harder times, because For me, when I'm dealing with uncertainty, my mind tends to go back to times when I was certain. My therapist reminded me of that. I do the same thing. Yeah. And so it's like going, okay, yes, that was known, but let's have a reality check. Mm -hmm. I I wasn't happy and I have to take off my rose colored glasses and 
know that this thought pattern is not taking me where I want to go, you know? And I think it's also hard. There were times when I secretly wished he would, you know, cheat on me or mm. start doing coke or something. Do <laughs> like up so you would yeah. have a better reason yeah. to leave. Give yeah. me a good reason. And he didn't. He's awesome. And people mm-hmm. thought I was crazy. And mm-hmm. I thought I was crazy at times. But it was, again, that honoring this isn't for both of us for the highest good. What a powerful story. Thank you for sharing it. Mm-hmm. I love what you said about I'm going to back way up in the beginning of your story and you were very excited about your personal growth journey and you were prescribing to him what you were learning. And I think that's really important. I think that we were talking about this. I co-led a retreat in Mexico recently and I've made sure now that especially when we lead retreats, I know you lead many retreats, is that when people come to those and they get very excited about personal development and they are in it for several days, they're, you know, eating, drinking and sleeping it. And I think even for people that, you know, listen to my podcast or your podcast and and really kind of just are immersed in it and they are so excited and they try to ram it down everyone else's throat Mm -hmm. and my friend Amy describes it very well. She said, you're going to have like three different types of people. You're going to have the people who get on board with you and are super excited. That is very rare. And you're going to get the people who are like, that's cool. And then change the subject. And then you're going to get the people who are like kind of pissed at you and just like, can you stop? You know, it's the same thing with like people who find a new religion or get super into P90X or something. (laughs) It's like you're in it, you know, and you're excited and that's great. But I think that especially when it happens in marriages or when someone has a best friend or, you know, they're trying to prescribe it to their siblings. And I love that analogy of like, you don't walk into a nursery and wake a sleeping baby and just give yeah. someone the dignity. And, and yeah. that's hard. It is hard. And, you know, I think I should also clarify, I don't think just because you hit a tough time in marriage or a relationship, you should go. I had a lot of people say to me, well, you just gave up too quickly. You guys didn't work on it. We did. And if... From my point of view, and this is just an opinion, both the personal and professional one, it does take two people being willing to do the work to really work on it and Uh work in similar ways. And I'm not saying he wasn't willing to work on it. He was willing to work on it in his way. I was willing to work on it in my way. And our ways weren't aligned. They didn't work. Yeah. Right. Because our, you know, our values had shifted. So I do believe in marriage. I think, you know, it's awesome. Whatever you think about it, if you're in a long-term relationship or not, it does take work. You know, that is the best mirror and the biggest catalyst for growth is romantic relationship. And so it's, it's that discernment between can we work on it or does it have an expiration date? Honestly, I will say we sought professional help. Mm -hmm. Like we had people kind of help us evaluate. Can we do this? You know, Mm -hmm. like, is this something that we can really work on? And I highly recommend that to get a professional, not your friends, (laughs) like (laughs) an outside professional that can help you decide if it's in the highest good for both of you. Wow. Um, Again, thank you for sharing that. And I, I love that you said relationships are catalysts for growth. Isn't that the damn truth? So mm. true. And it's, it's interesting. I was just thinking before we got on the phone, I was eating lunch and I, I don't know why this question popped into my head, but I asked myself, like, what makes me uncomfortable? And it's interesting that I can sit here all day long and talk to my listeners about my stories and things that happened. And I think for me, I don't know if this is your experience too, but I go into story mode and I can tell a story that was really hard and vulnerable for me. And, and I can do that. But what makes me really uncomfortable if someone asked me that question, talking to my husband or my best friend about my feelings. (laughs) Mm. Deep diving into that 
that's where I'm like, uh, <laughs> I have to like really call on my tools and I, sometimes they are out the window and I don't act, you know, as my highest self and I have to circle back and apologize. And yeah, those intimate, the ones that are really important to you, that'll be your catalyst for growth. That's when your big growing happens mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when you have to really show up. Yeah. So I read an article and you decided to freeze your ex. Not your eggs that you buy at the farmer's market, but your, <laughs> what are they, ovum? Is that what they're called? I just call them eggs. Your I eggs. Don't know. Okay. Good question. We'll have to Google that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Not so everyone's confused. So you decided to freeze your eggs a couple years ago. So tell us about that. And because it was, you know, it was a big decision for you to make. It was a huge decision, emotionally, physically, and financially. So one of the things when I was going through my divorce, Someone said to me, milk this for all it's worth. And I was like, what do you mean? Like to get pity? And he goes, no, 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 no. Get everything you can possibly learn from this so you don't have to do it again. And I was like, ah, I see. So the divorce wasn't just about my relationship with my ex-husband. It was about, it was all grief. It was any time that something ended, it triggered a lot. And it also had me look at how I projected financial security onto the masculine. Mm. Like how I, yeah, I had my career and everything, but there was sort of a conscious or unconscious belief that, well, the man will make more money. Mm -hmm. Like, and then I just always assumed I wanted children and I never really thought about it. Like really, really thought about it. So here I was at 31, 32 years old, something like that. And I didn't want to continue my pattern of going from one relationship to the next. I was never single. I went from relationship to relationship to relationship. And I had learned that in a lot of times I drew men in when I was scared or when I was trying to get out of another relationship or over a past relationship uh-huh. or all three <laughs> or oh, yeah, or all three. Yeah. Right. I looked at all my relationships and I was like, I never really like got into a relationship feeling totally whole and complete and like I was rocking my life. Still, you know, I had, we're never perfect, right? Mm-hmm, but I never mm-hmm. had that feeling of like something was missing. I always had some kind of yearning or ache for how this person would help me. Again, this wasn't very conscious, but when I went back and really looked at it, I acknowledged that pattern in myself. So a big reason, there were many reasons I decided to freeze my eggs and I'll share as many as you want me to because different ones may relate to different people. So the first one was not wanting to get in another relationship because I was scared time was running out mm-hmm. and to draw someone in and sort of kind of make them my next husband and baby daddy without really looking at who they are. Mm-hmm. So that was number one. Number two, I knew I needed some time to work on me. I needed to marry myself. I needed to have a relationship with myself. I needed to get financially on my feet and know that I could do that for myself and support myself. So there was a lot that, and I needed to heal, right? So there was a lot I needed to do. Third, I also was starting to get a lot of downloads. I'm such a spiritual like word, but (laughs) a lot of guidance about how so many of us women are alive at this time to break a lot of patterns and to really help the feminine balance out and bring more of the feminine, the empowered feminine energy back into the world because we've been for the past 2000 years in a very male dominated patriarch society. Uh 
And the guidance I got is for so long, women have been distracted from their purpose through relationship and mothering. And I'm not saying you can't have purpose without relationship and mothering, but one of the things I was here to learn was how not to let a relationship pull me off course from what I'm here to do. Is this making sense? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I need to sort of get this whole, when am I going to have a baby thing out of my mind? And the only way I can think about doing that is freezing my eggs because Mm -hmm. For me, my focus is on healing myself, becoming whole and complete, empowering myself in my finances, and really getting clear about what I'm here to do. And there can't be a distraction right now. And I knew I wasn't strong enough to have a relationship come in and not be pulled a little off course by it. I think, I mean, there is really something to be said for many women, not all women. I have talked to decent amount of women who do not feel the biological clock, but for many women, it is a real thing that can be very distracting. Yep. Yep. It can be very distracting and it can be really scary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I think so many women, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to be a mother? Am I missing missing my window? And we talk about energetic real estate. It can take a lot of energetic real estate. And so I had a conversation. I do this with my clients. I I have them talk to parts of themselves or talk to emotions. And I, I have them set up two chairs and I'll put them on one chair and their inner critic in the other or them in one chair and an ex-boyfriend in the other. And they'll move back and forth and, and have a dialogue. And so I did it for myself and I put me in one chair and I put fear in the other chair. And because I was really scared about the whole baby thing. And I didn't want to make my decision to freeze my eggs based on fear because I wanted to do it from a place of real acceptance and from a place of love, really a place of love. And so when I dialogued with my fear, what I learned was I wasn't so afraid of missing the opportunity to have kids. What I was really afraid of is myself at like, say, 42, realizing I have this option Finding someone at that point, being ready to have a baby, not being able to, and then beating myself up so severely with regret that it would be unbearable. Mm. So I was more afraid of my future self than I was in the present moment. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this to save myself from myself in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. to save myself from ever. Because here's the thing. I don't know if I'll have children, but I do know that I did everything I could in my power that was most in alignment with what was for my highest growth at the time. And I can have peace with that. If I'm not able to have children for whatever reason, I'll have to grieve that. But at least I won't have the regret of, man, I wish I would have done something about that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you again for sharing that. I'm so glad that I found that post and asked you about it because I didn't know that about you before. And I know that that is such a difficult decision for you and for many women, you know, both emotionally and physically and financially. And I know that I've had a handful of clients who are in their mid thirties who are single, whether they were married before, perhaps not, and haven't had children yet and really deeply want to find someone to settle down with and have children. And I know that most of them have worked on Mm -hmm. giving it up to the universe and and having kind of a spiritual, you call it spiritual contract and, and just know that if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. But every once in a while, you know, I'm thinking of this one client in particular where she's just like, fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I'm running out of time and I am frustrated. And when is it going to be my turn? And they just get so down on themselves. My last question for you before we wrap up is, do you still have those moments? And if you do, what do you do when you have those days? 
Yeah. Well, I just, I'll answer that. I just want to back up for one second because you said something about like giving it up to the universe. So I really see freezing my eggs as an exercise in proactive surrender. Mm-hmm. Like I've still given it up. Like I, I'm not going out and trying to make it happen, but I did everything I possibly could. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's like for me, proactive surrender. And I have to say, since I froze my eggs, I don't feel that biological clock, that fear, that sense of urgency is gone. Mm-hmm. And so it was, you know, the best investment I made. And at the time, like it was a big financial commitment. And I know that's a big thing for a lot of women. And one of my male friends said to me, he was actually a doctor. He said, Christine, your earning potential is infinite. Your fertility is finite. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's a yeah. good point. And so do I have those days again? Like, let me just check still human. So mm-hmm. yes, I definitely have those days. And how I deal with it is in that longing and in those, when is it my turn? What I'm really desiring is to be a mother. And so how I work with myself and it even makes me emotional is I'm like, okay, if I'm desiring to be a mother, how do I mother myself right now? Like, how do I take care of my tender heart and honor this longing, this longing to be in partnership, this longing to have a family? Because I think our longings are important. So I'm very tender and compassionate with myself. And I, I let myself feel the ache of my longing and just step into that motherhood quality that I long for and actually give that to myself. Oh, that is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And it's not always, it's not just kumbaya right away. Like there are times when like yesterday, there's a bunch of stuff that happened this weekend and it was, I don't know when you'll air this, but it was Memorial day here Uh in the States. And you know, long weekends when you're single are kind of like, okay, like everybody's brunching, you know, you drive down and you see everybody out with their strollers and everything. And I had one of those moments of just like, I feel lonely right now. And I'm just going to let myself cry in an expectation hangover. I talk a lot about just like feeling our feelings and just let myself have a cry and mother myself. And then I felt okay. But I don't try to muscle my way through things or tell myself I shouldn't be feeling the way that I do. Mm, I think that's so important. I'm so glad you said that about catching yourself. I don't like to tell people like, don't judge your feelings, because I think that a lot of people in those first stages of even just learning how to feel them and giving themselves permission to do so, they will judge their feelings because they're so used to doing it or being told they're wrong for feeling a certain way. So just notice when you're doing it. And gosh, that permission piece is so important just to let yourself feel whatever you're feeling. Yeah, permission and compassion. And when you're feeling... You know, like you said, be aware of the judger and and all women, we have that archetype of mother inside of us. And I've seen so many women like not be able to have a baby, not be able to have a baby. And then they really work on their relationship with themselves. They start to mother themselves in more beautiful ways. And all of a sudden, boom, the baby comes. So and again, like this isn't a one size fits all approach. We all have different soul lessons. But I think it's important for all of us women to mother ourselves to know that we are whole and complete, to, you know, be in relationship, whether it's with a man or whether you're with a woman, whatever it is, to come into a relationship knowing that other person doesn't complete you and that they're your soulmate in terms of being a mirror and being a reflection and helping you learn and helping you grow. And that that's what the longing really is. It's not because anything's missing. It's because we want to share. We want to grow. We want to connect. Mm-hmm. Well said, my friend. Thank you again for being on here for the second time. And hey, you guys, show notes are at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 112. We will link up to Christine's site and her podcast and that blog post that I mentioned in the very beginning, as well as that 
guest post that you did about freezing your eggs for anyone that wants to read that. The easiest place for people to come and say hi to you is where, Christine? ChristineHassler.com and that's my social media handles and then the podcast where I coach people live on the air is over it and on with it. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you, Ass Kickers, for joining us for another episode. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 